we're in a series uh, talking about firewalls. And uh, what is a firewall? We, we dove into this last week a, a little bit. And uh, in my limited technical expertise, I gave you this definition of a firewall. It's a program designed to protect a network by preventing unauthorized users from gaining access. And the purpose of a firewall is that there are certain things that are not allowed to have access. And when it comes to our heart, the scripture tells us over and over again that we need to guard our heart. Over and over and over again, the scripture says, guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says it best, guard your heart above all else. For everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart above all else for everything you do flows from it. Time and time again, the scriptures warn us to guard our heart because of this reality that our heart, what gets in our heart translates into what we do. And what we do determines the course of our life. And so the scripture says you've got to guard your heart. So we've been walking through this series. And last week we talked about anger. If you missed last week, um, you can catch up on the podcast. But we talked about anger. And one of the principles we talked about with anger is anger as an emotion is something that was given to us by God. We were designed to experience anger. Anger in itself is not a sin. But anything used outside of its intended use is dangerous. So if you're here, I had like a, like a spray, uh, aerosol cleaner spray. And, and it's funny because as humans, we have to put instructions for use on things that seem no-brainers. And so I read the back of it, and it said something like, don't spray directly into face. Now, if you have to be told not to spray yourself directly in the face with Lysol, the world's going to be very hard for you. <laughs> However, it's there for a reason, because at some point someone thought, oh, I'm going to disinfect my face with this. Anything used outside of its intended use goes from helpful to potentially destructive. And we talked about how anger is helpful and is part of God's design for us, but outside of its intended use, it gets root in our heart and is very dangerous. And today we're going to talk about another emotion that we wrestle with and struggle with that for some of you is going to dive into some deep places today. Because we're going to talk about loneliness. You say, well, Pastor Mike, what's redemptive? about loneliness? What's good about don't? What's the intended use of loneliness? I'm so glad that you asked. We're going to talk about that a bit today. And I was thinking about loneliness, and let me just be candid with you guys. When I initially thought about this message, I had kind of a lane that I was going down. And the further that I got into this, the less excited I was about sharing with you guys today, because it got harder and harder and harder to deal with. It got a little more real so I was wrestling with this concept of loneliness, and I like to start with just talking a little bit about how I've experienced this. So I was walking through my life, and I was thinking about times when I experienced loneliness. Now, I'm going to be honest with you up front. I'm going to change some details of some stories to just protect the names of all involved and that kind of stuff. So full disclosure. But I was thinking about times I've experienced loneliness. I was thinking about the first time I really experienced loneliness that I can remember. I was about six, seven years old. I was being uh, babysat by my older cousins, um, who had no problem just, you know, dominating me <laughs> into submission because they're older cousins and that's what they do. They just hit you with pillows with shoes in them and socks filled with ice and, you know, just having fun. Boy stuff. <laughs> that didn't happen everywhere else? Okay. Anyways, <laughs> I'm with my cousins and, and, uh, and they want me to go to bed so that they can watch a movie, but it's early. So they're like, go to bed. I'm like, dude, it's too early. I'm like six or seven, but I'm fighting. So they throw me back in the back room, you know, lovingly cram a shoe under the door so I can't open it and say, go to bed, so they can watch whatever they wanted to watch. And I remember sitting in my room and crying, six, seven years old. I was crying a very specific prayer. I knew my mom was at work, but I didn't know where my dad was. So he'd been out of the picture. Last time I had seen him, I was five. And I remember thinking for the first time in my life, who's supposed to come to the rescue when I'm stuck? And for the first time in my life, going, man, that's like a dad's job. Why don't I have one of those? And I remember the deep, deep loneliness that I felt. Fast forward, young adult age and going to school and trying to figure out what to do with my life and, and, and hitting those moments where you're just, you're just really trying to figure out how do, I, how do I know God's will and do I even want to do God's will? Do I even care? And, and where am I at? And, and, and just remember feeling, how do I make these decisions and looking for, for, for a mentor in that season of my life and I didn't have one and just feeling so lonely. But that's not the story I want to share either. I can fast forward forward more and I'm in ministry now and I've been doing it for a little while and 
We're in a foreign land for us, far away from family and support. It's been a theme. And we're getting close to the holidays, and we have a young kid. And it's one of the first times we realize we're not going to be able to kind of go home and do the, the holidays with the grandparents and all of those people. And so our plan was to go to the relationship that we had closest in town and do the holidays with them. We were invited over to their, their place for the holidays, and it felt like, okay, this is going to be good. Well, during that season, this is a family, very influential family in the church, a good friends. They served alongside of us. They were just partners. And they had some kids. They had three great, well, they had two great and another kid. <laughs> and that last kid was a lot of work, and I was a youth pastor, and I was working alongside this last kid. And there were some issues. We were running into some things. And I, because I love the family and I love the kid, was committed to just working through stuff with them. But there were some things that kept popping up that were like red flags. Some dishonesty, some sneaking, some things that were above the normal level of teenage just screwing around. So I went to the family and alerted them. I said, hey, we got an issue here. And you're not quite seeing it, but I can see these are all signs, you know, shaking the eight ball, signs point to danger here, right? Well, their response was, you're wrong. You're being too hard on our kid. He's just a kid. Just let him be a kid. It's not a big deal. We got it. Well, something crazy happened. I got disinvited to Christmas. <laughs> disinvited to Christmas? Are you kidding me? How do you get disinvited to Christmas? That's low. That hurts. And I remember, I remember sitting with my wife. I mean, here's the thing. Loneliness doesn't have much to do with how many people are around you. Right? You can have a lot of people around you and be lonely and battling loneliness. I remember sitting with my wife and our young child feeling so rejected, feeling so alone, feeling like I was giving my life away to help somebody. And I was just rejected. The end of that story is pretty interesting. I don't know how much time we got, but short version is I got a phone call one day from a smallerish town and from another former kid saying, hey, you know what this kid's doing? I'm like, yeah, I had a pretty good idea. Do you know he's doing it right now? It's like, no. Because yeah, I saw his car. It's like, oh. So I drove to a house, kicked in a door, pulled him out of a dangerous situation, brought him home to his parents. It's like, here's your kid. <laughs> we weren't friends at that point. Their choice, but a little bit mine too still. <laughs> And there was a season of just healing and recovery and kind of God's justice and all those pieces that kind of brought all the pieces back together. But the end of that story is just about we just keep loving people who are knuckleheads, come on. <laughs> and we give ourselves away, that's what we do. But the reality is we all battle with loneliness. We all face loneliness in our core. We all feel the emotion of loneliness. And what's interesting is loneliness isn't always necessarily a problem but what it causes us to do when we're facing it can be really, really dangerous. As a long, long time youth pastor, I can tell you, sitting with kids and watching how they form their relationships and watching the power of peer pressure and dating relationships that, that were driven not out of a place of health, but out of a place of fear because I don't wanna be alone and I don't wanna be perceived as being alone. And I don't want others to not include me or think differently of me. And I watched time after time after time relationship, whether romantic or just friendship relationships that were unhealthy, but they couldn't move outside of those relationships because there was a paranoid fear of being alone. I thought that was unique to teenagers until I started meeting more adults and realizing that many of the adults that I know are, are in, in circles of relationship that are sometimes unhealthy, but they're pursuing those things, not because of some uh, 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 agenda for life, but because of fear of being alone. You see, loneliness can drive us into very dark places, into very bad choices. It's a funny thing because the enemy does want to isolate us. One of his greatest moves is to isolate us. You know, the scripture talks about us time and time again as, as sheep. We're the sheep of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. He's the shepherd. And the picture that we get in the scriptures is of the enemy trying to attack us. And how does he attack us? He tries to get his sheep away and isolate it alone. So loneliness can be dangerous. 
If we remain in a place like that too long, we leave ourselves open to attack. Some of the worst decisions I made, some of the worst decisions I've seen made, were connected to loneliness or a fear of loneliness or a fear of rejection. If you track back some of the things that you look back and go, oh man, that was a bad choice. Who was influencing you? Whose approval were you trying to win? Who was around you that you thought, I needed their approval? So many times, people compromising values and conscience, trying to avoid loneliness. Now, I'm not talking about personality types. Extroverts and introverts both need relationship. Some of them just need it quicker (laughs) or more often. But we're all designed for that. So here's a key point I want you to catch. We are hardwired as a species to feel lonely. Isn't that interesting? It is in our core design to need relationships. We are, and here's the problem, is when we talk about loneliness, oftentimes we start associating that with weakness. And we think that loneliness equates to weakness. And so we can't ever demonstrate that we're lonely because that would equate to saying that we are weak, that something must be wrong with us. And so when someone asks you how you're doing and the issue is loneliness, you spin it. You lie. We'll talk about that later. But you do. You say, oh, I'm just really busy right now, or I just got a lot going on, or it's just a hard time. But but you can't get to the core of it. Why? Because there's a perception that somehow loneliness is connected to weakness. But it's not. As a matter of fact, loneliness is designed into us because loneliness is what drives us to admit that we have a need for something more and we're designed for that so here's let let me make sense you're designed to need oxygen so when you don't have oxygen and you're like trying to get to the top of the pool i don't look at you jason and go weak (laughs) how weak is this guy he needs oxygen he needs to get above the water line so air can get in his lungs That's not the reaction that I have when I see that. So why do we think that the reaction when someone says, hey, part of my design is I need a relationship and I can't get it, and we go, oh, weak. That's the danger. That's the deception. That's the trap of loneliness. It's not supposed to say there's something wrong with you. It's supposed to say there's something you need and you're designed for. Let me say it this way because this will stick with you. You're designed to run on intimacy and calories. That's what charges you. You run on intimacy and calories. That's what makes you go. That's what fuels you and gives you energy and gives you uh, what you need to make it work. Your soul desires it in your core. Your soul is designed to be connected to your father in heaven and to one another. The Bible's full about how we're designed to need relationship. As a matter of fact, I love this picture. In the very beginning in Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the man, Adam. He gives him a job to do. He's naming things and he's in charge and it's awesome. And there's no sin in the world whatsoever. There's been no rebellion. There's been no rejection of God. He's in perfect harmony and connection with God. And God looks down and says something incredibly profound. He goes, hey, it's not good yet. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Isn't it fascinating that in a perfect environment, God said, it's not good yet until you're connected to somebody else, until you're connected. That's how I know that we're designed for relationship. That's how I know that we're only fulfilled when we're in relationship. That's how I know that loneliness is part of our design because loneliness drives us. It's like a thermometer warning us, ding, 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 danger. We need to connect and have relationship. All throughout the scripture, there's pictures of people experiencing loneliness. Moses, kicked out of Egypt, out in the wilderness, experiencing Uh, 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 loneliness. David loses his friend, Jonathan, and there's sorrow and he's weeping, experiencing loneliness. Jesus, we're going to press into that. uh, Perfect, yet experiencing loneliness. Paul and others, we can go on and on and on. So I'm going to read, I'm going to take us to a couple different places. I'm going to talk about Jesus interacting with somebody who's experiencing loneliness. Then I'm going to talk about Jesus interacting with loneliness one-on-one. And then I'm going to talk about how Peter teaches us 
to handle when we face with loneliness. So put your seatbelts on. We're going to dive in, and we're going to go. Uh, I'm going to start in Luke chapter 5. And in Luke chapter 5, we have this incredible story of Jesus interacting with somebody who's experienced incredible loneliness. How has he experienced incredible loneliness? He has a disease that throughout the scriptures, time and time again, it references uh, this disease. You've heard this before, but maybe you've never seen it. I'm going to give you a visual if you're a little queasy. You can look away for a moment. But, but this is the disease of leprosy. And leprosy is a, uh, is a very interesting disease that comes up a lot in scriptures. We don't face it very often today. It's called Hansen's disease today. As a matter of fact, if they catch it uh, early enough, there's treatments now. And so we don't have, you probably don't know anyone who's battling leprosy as part of their, uh, their regular, uh, you know, maybe medical regimen. Uh, it's not as common. But throughout uh, the ancient times and throughout the world, leprosy was a very, because it's very visible, it's very easy to see. It's contagious by touch and by saliva. Um, it is a very dangerous dangerous disease. The scriptures is very clear. It talks a lot about this particular disease. So in Luke chapter five, Jesus walks into uh, 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 an encounter with someone who has leprosy. Now, there's some things you have to know about leprosy in the scriptures. Because of its dangerous nature and its contagious nature, it's spoken about a lot in the scriptures. And there's a lot of rules and laws about dealing with someone who has any kind of communicable skin disease. So you can go throughout, especially throughout the Old Testament, there's about 58 times, I think, that, that God gives some direction on how to manage somebody with leprosy. So it comes up a lot. And basically the rule of this, they're not, because they're not always aware of what is actually Hansen's disease and full-blown leprosy and what might just be another skin issue, even sunburn. I mean, they're out in the desert. They're trying to figure out how to do that. There's a basic rule. So I'm just breaking it down for you, right? If you have a, a skin condition that's showing, your job, your responsibility was to go in to show yourself to the priest. And the priest would examine it and make a note. And then you'd leave and you'd come back seven days later. And if it got worse and not better, you were kicked out because you're considered contagious. They burn your clothes and you're just out. So assuming that somehow you got better, you'd have a chance then with 30 days later to show yourself again to the priest. And then you have to go through like a ceremonial re-entry into the relationship. But if you actually had something that was bad like that, they kicked you out of relationship and you had to live outside the camp, outside of the city, wherever they were at, because they couldn't risk that communicable disease spreading throughout all the people. So finding yourself in a situation like this is about as lonely of a situation as you can find yourself in. And I want you to see how Jesus interacts with somebody who's incredibly vulnerable because of loneliness. Luke chapter five, beginning in verse 12. says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered in leprosy. Let's stop right there for just a second. He's not supposed to be in town. We just talked about that. Being covered in leprosy, he is risking an incredibly harsh sentence for actually coming into town. There is a level of desperation you have to see here. I heard Jesus was here. I know that I'm not welcome, but I have got to get to Jesus. He comes to town. It says, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. <laughs> if you're willing. If you're willing, God. You can take this thing that has me isolated. You can take this thing that has me separated from relationship with others. You can take this thing that has me pushed outside of, of the network of people that I love and care for. If you're willing, God, you can take it from me. You can solve it. You can heal me. Verse 13 says, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, I read this a bunch of times. And the first few times I was just all impressed. You know, ah, Jesus touches the untouchable. It's awesome. But then I had this epiphany. Jesus didn't need to touch this guy. There's a lot of ways to heal somebody. Jesus at different times said, hey, your servant's healed. Don't, it's over, right? Your faith has made you well. Many times throughout the scriptures, there's no, no touching involved. And this is a particular case where I'm just, can we just be honest for a second? If you have a cold, and we have a scheduled get-together. And you tell me you have a cold. Nah, bro, it's cool. Catch me, catch me on the other side of that cold, <laughs> right? I don't really particularly want to hang out with you if you have a cold. Here's why. Because if I catch that cold, that means first my, next my wife's going to get it, then my baby's going to get it, then my next one's going to get it. And my, that cold is going to run a five-week to seven-week course through our family, right? 
So if you have a cold, I don't really want to spend that much time with you. It's cool, but we can talk on the phone. We don't have to touch. And here's a guy who has a communicable disease, who's violating the law by coming even into town, who's throwing himself at the feet of Jesus. And you can imagine everyone around, you saw what it looks like, going, oh, dangerous. And Jesus could have been like, get up. Everyone would have been like, ah. You're awesome, Jesus. And he would have got up and thrown off his robes and would have been like, yeah. But that's not what he did. He throws himself on the ground. He says, God, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You can solve this. What was the solve? Was it leprosy or was it touch? I don't know. But there's something incredibly powerful about Jesus saying, let me touch you. Let me welcome you back into relationship. Let me, let me connect with you. And immediately he was well. It's powerful. Now, what's funny is I started off by thinking about all of the things that we're carrying where we feel like we're untouchable. Some of the stuff that maybe we dealt with in our, in our closing prayer moments that make us feel like we are disconnected from God. The sin that gets in our lives and the way Isaiah says it, it's like there's a lid over our prayers and we feel like we can't connect to God. I thought about talking about how if we would just surrender and trust God, he'll touch us and he'll solve the thing that makes us feel unconnected from God. And what an amazing immediate start that would be to healing loneliness. But then I started thinking about Jesus's role and reaching out to someone who's lonely and touching them. I got all kinds of uncomfortable. I thought, wait, that's way harder. It's way harder to recognize that as Jesus' ambassadors, our role is to reach out and touch people who others have said, this is now untouchable. This is now unclean. This has to be outside of the camp. This can't come into the town. This can't be around you. We can't have this in our house. And Jesus says, uh, 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 let me demonstrate what it looks like to go to someone who everyone else thinks does not deserve relationship and reestablish that they're loved and that they're in. I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> Let's have the hard talk about loving people who are unlovable, touching people who others would say are untouchable, not avoiding people. I'm not talking about the flu. I'm talking about society said, hey, you can't love these people. They're untouchable. And we say, hmm, Jesus didn't model that. They're designed for relationship too, and we need to touch, and we need to be there. Verse 14, Jesus ordered him, hey, don't tell anyone. <laughs> this is awesome. Like, no one's gonna notice. But go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony for them. He says, hey, let's not, um, you know, do a big deal out of this, but, you know, I want you to be welcomed back into relationship, and so go to the priest, because that's who has to sign off on you coming back into town so you're not violating the law. Go do that stuff. It says, verse 15, yet the news about him spread all the more. And the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. And this is, but then Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. They came and they swarmed Jesus. And we'll talk about him withdrawing to lonely places another time. But it was a, just a reality of him. He just gave everything he had. And then he went and he recharged. He said, I need to recover and I need to be close to the Father. Here's the thing about loneliness. Loneliness can lead us to some really dangerous decisions. It really can. One of the things loneliness can lead us to is depression. Now, listen, I'm not a clinical doctor or psychologist, and I don't know about medicines and, and all of those kinds of things. I just know at the root of a lot of the depression that I've run into, a lot of the depression that I've walked with people through, at the root of all of that is somewhere disconnected relationships and feeling alone and not having a true understanding of who God is in their life and their access to God. Depression is one of the things loneliness can, if, if left uh, to run free, can do. One of the dangerous decisions it can lead to is addiction. I do have some experience in this area, loving people through some of their addictions, and I can tell you time and time and time again, people driven to their addiction because they felt like it was all they had. Everyone else had left them, and that was all they had. People turn into things like alcohol, to just numb the emotions and the feelings, to just not feel anymore. Turn into pornography, 
to escape, to go into another lane of thinking that, that a, a reality that isn't true in order to just embrace that and feel like their identity is somehow validated through that. Running to drugs, any method of escaping and just not feeling anymore. On and on and on and on. Loneliness is a, ca- a, a catalyst for those things. Compromise. We talked a little bit about this and some of the worst decisions you made because of peer pressure or to avoid being left behind, to avoid uh, dealing with something else. It can lead to distancing. We can get into patterns of loneliness and we can withdraw. We can begin to feel unlovable and untouchable and unwanted. And instead of pushing into relationships and presence, uh, we start to pull back more and more and more. And we begin to test people. Did you notice I wasn't there? Come on, do that to a pastor. That's really kind. That's fun. Thanks. <laughs> do that to a family member. Do that to a friend. Did you care that I left, that I wasn't there, that I wasn't there? You begin testing people. We'll get into that a little further. <laughs> but those are some of the things that we see that, that can be dangerous and be a result of, uh, of loneliness. And so, so we see this picture of Jesus connecting with someone who's an outsider, bringing them in as an insider. We see this picture of someone who has some kind of baggage that because of that baggage, they've been told, you can't be included. You're not in the family anymore. Yet they press in and throw themselves at the feet of Jesus and he restores and revives and heals those things. But what about Jesus and loneliness? Did he ever experience loneliness himself? I started thinking about this picture of Jesus being perfect. Let's face it, if you're the only perfect person around, there's some loneliness. (laughs) There's some loneliness. There's a few conversations the disciples had to say where they were just like, just don't let Jesus hear us. (laughs) Right? Because you know he's going to say, don't do the thing, and he's going to be the perfect, Mr. Perfect, right? (laughs) I'm the only one that had those kind of conversations. (laughs) That only has that picture of dealing with Mr. Perfect Jesus, right? (laughs) There's got to be some things that were lonely because you can't relate on some of those things of, in your perfection. There had to be some moments that were pretty lonely there, but that's small compared to the big moment of loneliness that he experienced. If you take a look at the final moments of his life, you see an incredible picture of relationship and then loneliness. You see disciples and friends and his core relationships abandoning him. You see him alone experiencing the moments of the cross. But then you see something crazy. Someone who's defined their entire ministry as saying, hey, me and the Father, we're one. And I only do what the Father commands. And my words are the Father's words. You have access to connection with the Father. I'm demonstrating what it looks like to be in relationship with the Father. I am God in a bod. This is what it looks like to be one with the Father. His words on the cross are incredibly powerful in that response. Because as the final moments come before he utters out to tell us diet is finished in, uh, in uh, Matthew 27, about the ninth hour, It says, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Something changes through the entire experience of the cross. And he cries out. He says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the picture we get is he experienced the fullness of loneliness so that we would never be alone again. He experienced the full weight of our sin and the consequence of our sin and the turning away of the Father so that the Father would never have to turn away from us. As a matter of fact, it's powerful. If you go to Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse five, it says, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. What's powerful about that is as you search kind of through the Old Testament, there is always kind of this conditional uh, thing about I'll never leave you, forsake you. You'll be my people and I'll never leave you or forsake you. You'll go to this land and I'll never leave you and forsake you. You lead my people, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But in Hebrews, the author wants us to understand God has made it clear. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. Jesus on the cross, God, why have you forsaken me? It's the last time that that had to be poured out. Loneliness is no longer a thing. Now, I'm gonna go a little bit deeper because we're teaching here. Here's Jesus saying, you can be in relationship with the Father through me, but I'm gonna send you a counselor, Holy Spirit, and he's gonna live in your heart. And you're gonna have connection with God and actually dwell in you. See, there's one thing to say, God, you got my hand, you got me. It's another thing to say, God, you're in me. 
if God literally comes and lives in your heart, if the Holy Spirit literally comes and dwells in you, then their loneliness has taken a completely new, completely new vocabulary. It doesn't mean the same thing anymore. If God says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, if the Holy Spirit says, I'll come and I'll live in your heart, then suddenly the picture of loneliness. Why am I telling you this? Because I want you to get some truth because I'm gonna press in here to a little bit about the emotion of loneliness. And if you don't understand the truth that Jesus experienced the fullness of loneliness so that you never have to be alone, that the relationship you have with God has shifted from a I want and need you and here's my hand to your hand to I'm in and with you, then it's hard for you to understand how to handle loneliness. So how do we deal with it? Peter says this, Peter chapter five, first Peter chapter five. And I love this picture of Peter because all the pictures that I have of Peter uh, throughout the scriptures, he's one of my favorite guys because he's young and he's brash and he's a knucklehead and he says the wrong thing and he puts his foot in his mouth, but he's, you know, he's like me. Just put all your energy into it, even if you're wrong, even if you swing and miss, you might hit something. And I just like Peter because he, you know, he whiffs as as often as he connects. It's like my golf game. It's like a 50-50 thing, but it's awesome. But Peter's old now when he's writing this and he's writing to the churches and he's connecting with people who are walking with Jesus and he's trying to coach them on this relational thing that you have with God now that you are a believer, now that he's older and he's looking back on experience and he's talking about how to be connected to God and he says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse six and it's amazing, he goes, listen, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What are you talking about, Pastor Mike? He says, you wanna have connection and relationship with God. If you're feeling disconnected and unconnected and outside, if loneliness and emotions and anxieties have gotten root in your life, the recipe and the answer for that, go back to verse six, is you have to humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. I love this picture. You have to be willing to place yourself in humility under God's hand which is mighty and has power and authority and that he may lift you up in due time. Now, this is interesting. See how this is highlighted, this comma right here? Because I don't know what kind of Bible that you, what you have, but in the NIV and in some Bibles, there's a period right here, which is bad grammar to the Greek text. And if you look at some of the other original texts, if you look at some other texts, there's a comma here instead of a period. Why is that significant? Because verse seven, let's put verse seven back up here. Verse seven is an amazing t-shirt Christian verse. And we like t-shirt verses. We like verses that we can hang up on our refrigerator on a magnet or put on a bumper sticker on our car, right? Cast all your anxiety or your worries on him because he cares for you is amazing. But if that's a standalone sentence and a standalone thought, that's a great standalone thought. But that's not how Peter explains it. Go back again to verse six. He says, you've got to humble yourself. Therefore, put yourself under God's mighty hand so he can lift you up when it's time. So cast your anxieties on him. Keep, keep rolling with me. Cast your anxiety on him and he cares for you. It's one thought. It's one connected piece. Why is that significant? Because all of us deal with loneliness and worries and fear. And Peter's saying there is a connective tissue between your pride and the emotional experience of loneliness that you're experiencing. And the answer is gonna require some humility. The answer is gonna require some humility. And you know this is true. We'll go to the hypotheticals because you know somebody who feels alone, who is wrestling with loneliness, and you know in their world that part of that is connected to a pride piece that hasn't been willing to come on now, put themselves under God and trust God and behave like Jesus in those relationships so there can be healing and restoration and relational connection. Pride's gotten in there. Let me go a little deeper. You've been in some relationships, married folks especially, but others as well, where there's been a rift and the thing that's now driving it, I moved far away from my wife over here. So I just want you guys to see that. Not, you can't see that on the podcast, but I'm way on the other side of the room now. I'll talk directly to you guys because you guys have never done this, right? <laughs> you've been in a relationship and you've been hurt or fought or felt misunderstood and there was tension in there and now pride has gotten in. And you have said, okay, I'm, I'm feeling driven by this away from you and I'm gonna test you out here until you break. And I'm gonna stay over here on this side of pride, regardless if, if I'm right or wrong, it's about my will. 
and you're going to break, and I'm going to put the pressure on you until you do. And then over on this side, you're like, I'll show you what a break looks like. Right? I'll break your legs. No. <laughs> right? And Peter's saying there is a connective tissue. You have permission to cast your anxiety, to cast your worries, to cast your loneliness into God's uh, hand. He'll care for you. He'll demonstrate his faithfulness. But it starts from a humility place and a humble place and a soft heart that recognize you might actually be part of the problem. And you may not be all the way right, even if you believe you're 99% right. And you might have, come on now, a little bit to do. And maybe this situation, maybe you're right, but God's still working on your heart. Maybe you're bad at being right. And you're right, but you're using your rightness to wreck relationships. And Peter's saying, listen, you've got to learn to humble yourself, put yourself under God's hand, because when you do that, you now have permission and a release to cast all of your anxieties and worries on him, and he cares for you. And look what he says, verse eight. So be self-controlled and alert, because your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now listen, it doesn't say looking for some people to devour. He's trying to isolate you. He's prowling around like a lion looking for who's isolated themselves, whose pride has swelled up so high that they can't trust God, they can't repent, they can't meet someone halfway. They're not able to cast their worries and anxiety on him. Instead, they're holding on to their worries and their anxiety and they're like, and the enemy's like, yeah, that's where I want you. Out here, alone, completely self-righteous and vulnerable. Looking, he's prowling like a lion, looking for someone who's taken themselves outside of God's will and God's heart. Verse nine, so resist him and stand firm in the faith because faith is the answer to your feelings. Stand, stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Isn't it true? When we're feeling lonely, we feel like we're the only one. It's the first thing that happens. I'm the only one who's spouse doesn't do whatever this thing is that I think that they should do. I'm the only one whose friends didn't stick with them and left them. I'm the only one who didn't get invited to the way. I'm the only one. Peter's like, you know that this is a strategy of the enemy that people are facing all over the world. Verse 10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. You know, believers will always have a bullseye. The enemy's always gonna lie and go after your identity. He's always gonna come and try to attack and steal and kill and destroy. That's his move. When you weren't a believer, he didn't need to mess with you. You were bringing hell into your life all on your own. He's looking for a foothold. He's looking for you to be isolated. He's looking for you to feel alone. He's looking for you to be a victim of your feelings and be stuck under the weight of your feelings and be locked down. So how do we deal with loneliness? You know, it's funny. It's funny that Peter writes this. I love that Peter writes this because Peter's the same guy that walked on water, which is one of my favorite stories of the whole scripture. And I love the picture of Peter walking on water because he gets out of the boat and he leaves the other 11 knuckleheads behind and he's out here on water. Now, he fails, he tanks, but at least he got to walk on water. Him and Jesus, the only two, right? I'd much rather have the story of I walked on water like four steps and then I tanked. Then, you know, I watched somebody walk on water and I was like, ha ha, they tanked, right? No, I want this story. I want to be out here on the water, right? So Peter's that guy. He's out here on the water. He's walking on the water. He's like, Lord, if it's you, say come. He's like, come. He's like, all right, I'm coming. And he's like, oh, it's scary out here. And he whiffs and he starts to sink. And it says, when he did that, he said, Lord, help me. And immediately God reached out his hand and grabbed him. What's the picture that Peter knows? He knows you're gonna get out on the water. It's gonna be hard. The storm's gonna be there. It's gonna be scary, but God will never be outside of reach. He understands that the power of the promise is always God's presence. The power in his promise, it's always his presence. He wants to be near you. So how do we defeat loneliness? I gotta give you some practical before I run out of town. I'm preaching too long. To defeat loneliness, there's some things that you need to know. Uh, here's what's funny is, uh, is psychologists will just say that this is the basic thing that you need to beat uh, loneliness. You need to be seen, you need to be heard, and you need to be valued. You need to be seen, you need to be heard, and you need to be valued. That's what the world will tell you that you need to defeat loneliness. Here's what's amazing. The scripture tells me time and time again, God sees you. Scripture says, lift up your voice. He hears you. 
When you pray, he hears your prayers. <laughs> Scripture says he sent his only son to sacrifice for you because you're so valuable to him. I'm just telling you, the antidote, 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 the antidote to loneliness is understanding how God sees you and who he is. Now, let me be real. Loneliness and alone is not the same thing. You can be in a big crowded room and feel lonely. You can have a big circle of relationships and feel lonely. And you can need some alone time and it's not because you're lonely. Where's my parents of young kids? <laughs> you can just need five minutes of alone time and no one needs to worry about you being lonely. You just need, you would literally write a check for the whole volume of your account if someone would just give you five quiet minutes, please. Being alone is not the same as being lonely and being with people is not the same as being lonely because lonely is an emotion that gets roots in your heart and drives things. So we have to understand that we're designed to face this. And I gotta give you some tools on how to do this. See, sometimes we walk through something and it leaves us feeling alone. We lost a relationship or we lost a loved one or something rifted and you can go through a season of being alone. But here's the thing I gotta tell you, you do not have to be defeated by loneliness. God is the answer to your loneliness and bringing the truth. Now, I talk about this from time to time and I know it's tough, but we gotta walk through this um, and I'm gonna give you some keys to battling loneliness. But here's one of the things you gotta understand. Loneliness is a feeling, it's an emotion. And, and we're talking about guarding your heart and putting guardrails into your heart and putting a firewall in your heart so that emotion can only use, be used the way it's intended to use. It's not an unintended user of your heart. And here's the thing we have to deal with when we're dealing with feelings and when we're dealing with emotions is that they are real, but they are not always true right? They're real. Tyson, you could feel like I don't like you. That's not true. I like you. But you could feel like that most of the days. <laughs> but you could feel like that. And that feeling is true for you. You got to process that feeling. And how do you process that feeling? You have to apply truth. You have to look at the data. You have to measure it out. And you have to say, hey, I know I feel this way right now, but it's not the truth. And so here's the thing I have to, I have, to have you here. You are not a victim to the feeling of emotion, of loneliness. You don't have to be. You can battle that with truth. I have given you tons of truth about the nature and the character of God, about Jesus's willingness to break through the emotion of loneliness so that you can feel included. I've given you truth about how pride gets in the way of us accepting God's mercy in hand so that we can cast our cares on him. The truth is you're never alone. Doesn't mean you're not gonna feel it. So we gotta talk a little bit about the power and authority we have as believers when we're battling things, powers and principles and emotions to say, hey, enemy, you're a liar. And I know right now, because of whatever circumstance I'm in, there's waves of emotions and loneliness is in the core of that. But I know the truth. I'm not alone. I'm never alone. The word of God's promise is always his presence. I have access to relationship at the deepest core. I am known fully and I'm fully known by God. So we gotta take a little authority, church, Christian folks. We can't play the victim card when the emotion of loneliness comes. I know that's a harsh reality, but I'm just giving you some truth bombs. And, and listen, can I just be, we don't have time to unpack every element of loneliness. Some of you are looking for a spouse and some of you are looking for relationships. Some of you are trying to restore relationships with a loved one. Or I, I don't know where your world is and there's some practical and pragmatic things and I can't cover the whole basis of it. I can just tell you the emotional damaging thing that loneliness wants to do in your life is a lie. And the enemy wants you to believe that lie. And that wrestling match for your mind and for your heart will determine the course of your life. And you can't give him real estate in your heart. So let me give you some practical things. I gotta give you practical stuff because I'm running out of time. Practical stuff, keys when facing loneliness. One of the keys, firewall your heart. Refuse to make decisions out of loneliness. Refuse to make decisions out of loneliness. I'm telling you, the worst decisions that you make in your life, if there's a root of loneliness in there, then you will make horrible decisions. This is what drives people to those things that we talked about, like addiction and compromise. You don't have to make a decision based out of your loneliness. You can say, hey, you know what? This isn't true. So I'm not gonna make a decision to kind of placate this because loneliness is an emotion and it doesn't rule my life. I am not, the, the thing, we start making decisions based out of loneliness and we get locked into patterns of loneliness. 
And then it pushes us back into deeper and deeper decisions that drive us further and further into loneliness. So we have to refuse to make our decisions out of a position of saying, well, the reason I'm doing this is because I'm lonely. Speaking of that, we got to refuse to lie about how we're feeling. We got to refuse to lie about it. We got to remove the, the kind of fear and shame that comes with, with hey, I'm lonely. And we got to be honest and say, you know what? I'm designed for relationship and I don't have those things in my life that I need right now. And so I need that. If you needed food, we'd all be able to tell you wouldn't be able to lie about it. If you needed oxygen, we'd all be able to tell you wouldn't be able to lie about it. But you can lie about needing relationship. And so we do. And we got to make a decision to stop lying about that. We got to remove the stigma and we got to be honest and say, you know what? I need to be connected. I need to be connected to God and I need to be connected to other people. Now, I told you I didn't have time to dive into all the deep relational stuff that can be there, whether maybe you're single and looking for somebody. Let me just tell you this. The honesty about this is not a good pickup line. So don't use that to like establish relationship. Don't be like, hey, how's it going, baby? You know my problems? I'm lonely. Because they're going to run and they should run. And if they don't run, you should run right? <laughs> That's not how that works. But you can put yourself in circles of people who are just like you because we're here. That's the port of the, of the family of God. We're designed for relationship. And it's okay to say, you know, one of the things I'm struggling with right now is, is maybe my world's so full or so busy or, or I've, whatever has been going on. And I found myself in this spot where I just don't have some of those relationships. I don't have a person right now. I don't have a people right now. And you know what? God will bring those relationships in. We have to be honest, about that. It's what we're here doing life together for. So you have that. It's important. It's part of the process. Jesus overcame loneliness so that we can experience God's presence no matter how much that feeling wants to get in. I'm going to have to put the brakes on here, but I just want to land on this one harsh, uh, big, just giant reality is, is we have to accept God's invitation for intimacy. And for some of us, for some of us, you hear intimacy and your head goes the wrong place, so come back. The intimacy God wants is he knows you and you're fully known. He knows you and you're fully known. And we want to be known and we want to be understood. And God says, I have that offer for you. And some of us have at a time kind of walked with God like we were intimately connected with God, but for a season now, we have felt like God's far away. And the scripture's clear. He says, hey, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear my voice, I'll come in and I'll be with you. But we've been like, I got, I got this pride. Come on. I said, no, 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 I got this. I got myself in this situation. I'll go myself out of it. I'm independent. I can make it. God says, okay, show me what you got. But I'm here knocking. We go, okay, this isn't working out. I need to know that you're here, that you're with me and that you care. And the answer in the core of dealing with loneliness is accepting God's invitation for intimacy. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Listen, I know I've been a little all over the map. I told you it got harder and harder to preach this because there were so many moving parts to what's in the core of this. But here's what I want for you to hear. I want you to hear some truth. The truth is God designed us with loneliness as a piece of that to drive us into relationship. We needed relationship from the very beginning, so it's healthy and okay to admit that you need that. He designed us for him to be our first and primary relationship, and when that gets out of whack, all of our other relationships get contaminated and messed up, and, and sometimes we're the problem of why relationships are going wrong. And we're carrying something and we need to deal with that baggage and we need to bring it to Jesus. And we need to say, hey, you know what? I, there's a chance that part of the problem might be me. Maybe I'm too stuck on this position. Maybe I'm too right. And you'd rather be right than be reconciled. So you're lonely. God says, if you can't get humble in there, if you can't come under my hand, if you can't trust me and cast all that on me, I can't lift you up. You gotta carry it. And you're carrying something you're not designed to carry because pride is taking a root in there. And here's the cool thing. He's like, I paid the price so that you didn't have to do that. So let's stop doing that. And some of you just need to hear me say this one more time. You're wanted. You're loved. You're a part. You're with us. You're with him. And he cares. You just need to know that. Someone with a microphone in the front needs to look you in the eye and say, you're loved, you're wanted, 
you're cared for. You're a part. You're not alone. Because the enemy is a liar. And he wants you to believe something other than that. And he wants to isolate you because that's how he tears you down. That's how he feasts on sheep. But that's not true. So you don't have to believe that. So God, this morning, we just... (laughs) want to believe the power and the truth of your word. And we want to firewall our heart. We want to guard our heart against, against an abuse or a misuse of this thing you designed in us that, that, that draws us to relationship because you conquered loneliness so that we could know that we never would actually be alone, ever. We have access to you in relationship with you. So I pray for those that have felt like maybe for a long time, they haven't just accepted your offer of intimacy and relationship. Your promise has always been your presence. And so God, would you come near and draw near to those hearts and those lives? And I pray for those. Maybe there's a thing. And maybe you're beginning to reveal it even now. Maybe we don't even see it. Pride has taken root and we can't even see that we're driving people away. We're so convinced of our opinion or our rightness or our entitlement or whatever that we're just using it as a weapon to just knock people over and wondering, hey, how come they don't want to be with us? God, we just want to lay that down. Just be in right relationship with you and with others. Thanks for connecting us to a body where we can serve and connect and be in relationship and do all the things that we are designed to do because you want that for us and we were built for that and we're at our fulfilled most when we're, when we're operating in our identity in you with one another, partnering to accomplish your will here on earth and that's what you want for us. So we want to see that happen. Because if we got that right, can you imagine the impact it'd make in this neighborhood? Can you imagine the way it would change lives that we connect to, that we bump into at grocery stores and parent pickup drop-off and parks and all those places that we go? It'd make a huge difference. We're ambassadors of that hope. We want to be like Jesus, just touching people who are lonely and hopeless and restoring them into fellowship with you. That's our job. If we can get us right, we can do what you've called us to do, and that'd be incredible. Can you imagine? I think you can. So we love you, and we say thanks. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.